The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. How on earth are you? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his hallucinogenic friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 124 of The Big Picture for the week beginning September 11. And coming up on today's show... Tons of tame toilet humour with Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. We meet the feminine side of rapping with Patty Cakes. And the creepy side of clowns with Stephen King's It. And we're also meeting the not-so-creepy Sam Robinson. G'day, Sam. <laughs> Hello. My voice isn't great this week, I've just got to say. Maybe it's a little bit creepy. You mean it's uh, well, less than great, is it? It doesn't yes, actually, it doesn't actually help you dressed up as a clown. No, no, well, no, no. I, I just thought it was appropriate. I've got a red balloon in my hand. Oh, we'll see how we go. Hey, time. what's at the movies, Ben? Creeping me out. Well, before we get on to movies like Stephen King's It and Patty Cakes and Captain Underpants, something else at cinemas this week, uh, Chaps, is a film that stars Richard Gere. He used to be like a really big thing, Richard Gere, and then he's a little bit less so now. Uh, Laura Linney, Rebecca Hall, and Steve Coogan. Uh, as in Alan Partridge and those recent trip films. Uh, so all of those are in this film called The Dinner that's about a bunch of wealthy brothers and their wives getting together and then working out how they're going to help their sons get away with a crime. Hmm. That's The Dinner. <laughs> that's the cinemas at the moment. That happens at our place all the time. Wow. I'm not sure you should confess to that on air, Mark Hadley. Uh, and then coming up this Thursday, uh, this hasn't had much publicity, although it's starting to get a bit now, and there's a lot of posters I've been seeing around on bus shelters recently for this film called Mother, with an exclamation mark at the end. Mother, from Darren Aronofsky. I think, I think Mother! There you go. Yes. Your, Mother. your voice is going fine, Sam. Mother uh, is from Darren Aronofsky, the guy who made Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, Black Swan, and sadly, Noah. But Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence, Avia Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer in this film, and apparently it's some body horror art house creep fest that I don't really know much else about, but I'm super intrigued by. But again, I, I would I would warn people away from it who are in any way alarmed by the idea of body horror art house creep fest. Wow. You might not want to see it if you don't like that sound. Art right? house and horror. I and can't cre- wait. Yeah, and there it is all together <laughs> in one film called Mother. What's on the TV, Mark Well, Hadley? actually, I've got something good to say. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams is actually releasing on Stan. Now... Anybody who knows anything about science fiction will know that Philip K. Dick is quite possibly responsible for some of the great um, science fiction stories, starting with Blade Runner, which was, you know, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and uh, Minority Report and all these sorts of things. He's been pilfered so many times, they've now decided to turn him into a TV series. So it's a sci-fi anthology of 10 episodes, standalone stories, um, some set in this world, some set in another world, all about investigating the idea of what it means to be human. Uh, personally, I think it's going to be fantastic. And it's got an awesome cast, right? Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad and Steve Buscemi is in this from Boardwalk Empire and a whole bunch of other people whose names now escape me. But they're Famous people. Famous people mm. and their faces are splashed across Stan at the moment. Like Twin Peaks was hammered on Stan a few months ago. Electric Dreams is being flogged on Stan at the Why, moment. Why, Ben McKeckin, you know something about science fiction. What has, <laughs> <laughs> what has yeah, happened? a little bit. A little bit, Mark. Cats and dogs are running off I together. I don't want to world's... get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I've got to say, um, well, Ben McKeckin and I will be spending uh, well a week today... September 18, to celebrate this release on Stan. That'll be fantastic. Another thing worth seeing, too, um, if you're particularly from my generation, you'll enjoy the ABC special coming this Sunday, September 17, Classic Countdown. Oh, as in, as in Countdown. Countdown, the show. Tell us more, oh, no. so, uh, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, they're celebrating one of the most loved programs ever produced and broadcast by the ABC. You see, Countdown, if you don't know, was a music compilation show. It had a lot of live performances, had some of the first film clips, when, when film clips were new to music uh, ever, and it ran for 13 years from 1974 to 1987, which neatly encapsulated basically Gen X's angst. You know, the entire time uh, they, they were, their lives were being coloured in by music, it was being uh, put up on a screen by Countdown. And so you can actually go and see it starts, classic Countdown starts uh, this coming Sunday. All right, true or false time? Yeah, that's right. One of the things we like to do here, the big picture, is kick off our episodes with a true or false statement. See if you can work out whether what I'm about to say, if one of these things is true or they're all false or whatever. What I'm about to get to is something to do with Vincent Price, who is a a very, very well-known, respected American actor. The reason we're talking about Vincent Price is because later in the show, we're going to be talking about this new version of Stephen King's It. That's a horror film. And we're trying to think of something horror-related, but a little bit on the tamer side of horror. A little bit more, say, family-friendly. Vincent Price was known for a lot of um, old school horror films um, from like kind of 40s, 50s right on through. His career spanned all sorts of genres as well though, including film noir, drama, mystery, etc, etc. Now, here's the true or false. Which one of these TV comedy shows did Vincent Price not appear in? Okay, so this is a not. Yeah, which one of these comedy shows didn't he appear in? Was it The Brady Bunch, The Muppet Show, Happy Days... Or Here's Lucy. Did he not appear in The Brady Bunch, The Muppet Show, Happy Days, or Here's Lucy? I think I've got an inside running on this because I think I actually grew up with all those shows and I'm just trying to remember. I think I know mm. which one. Stick but, around oh, and gee, find okay. out. I will reveal all soon. All right, question for you. Have you got a primary school aged boy in your house? No. Well, Jeff. I have several. <laughs> well, <laughs> I if, can lend you If one. you're Mark Hadley, there's a good chance you've heard of Captain Underpants. And if you haven't, the phrase tra-la-la is about to take on a whole new meaning. Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, is based on the international children's book series written by author Dav Pikey. And Mark discovered that though there's more than enough potty humour to go around, there's also a healthy amount of personal responsibility on offer. Hi, I'm George Beard, and this is my best friend Harold Hutchins. We just make comics and try to make each other laugh. And this old guy is Mr. Crook. George Harold! He's the worst principal in the world. Ever since you've attended this school, you've been responsible for one prank after another. Some of those must have been really hard to pull off. Like that tiger? Oh, that tiger was crazy. Ah! I told you I would get you one day. I'm going to have you two place in separate classes. We're going to annihilate your friendship. <laughs> George, do something. Put the pin down, Mr. Krupp, or we'll hypnotize you. Captain Underpants centers on George Beard and Harold Hutchins, two fourth-class friends voiced by Kevin Hart and Thomas Middleditch. They attend Jerome Horowitz Elementary School, ruled over by the malicious headmaster, Benjamin Krupp. Well, basically, George and Harold uh, maintain their happy mood by writing a comic called Captain Underpants and by playing pranks on the principal. When the principal finally gets enough of it, he decides he's going to annihilate their friendship by putting them in separate classes. Uh, And so then George pulls out of a cereal box a hypno ring. Yes, the plot is now spinning out of control. Uh, And uh, turns the principal accidentally, initially into a chicken, but then after that into Captain Underpants. Uh, And so hilarity follows. Uh, Mark, this is our What Your Kids Are Watching review segment for this week. Um, It seems a pretty fair choice to go with Captain Underpants, but a lot of parents have justifiable concerns about the sorts of things that they'll submit their kids to, put their kids in front of, let their kids watch. 
Do you reckon this is the sort of humour you'd want to steer kids away from, though? I want to ask if anybody actually has a primary school age boy in their house, can you steer them away from potty humour? If you can, please write into the the big picture and tell me. Because, look, it's just part of... It hasn't been successful in your house? No. They love the toilet humour? We've got three of them. And uh, I've got to say that it's just part of life. Like, kids just like to laugh about that sort of stuff. And, you know, I don't think it's terribly unhelpful. This one's too... It's well worth saying that uh, Captain Underpants is rated G. Okay, so there's Is no, it? Yeah, so there's nothing oh, right. really serious about the language or anything. Uh, as long as you can deal the words butt and fart, that's pretty much it. You know, <laughs> so um, it's not... That's Sam's laughing disturbing. already. There yeah. you go. It's hilarious. Classic uh-huh. humour. Hilarious. Um, watching kids laugh themselves silly too is pretty fun. I went with a huge audience of kids under uh, under. 14 I think and um, and they were it was hilarity from one end to the other so I think you'll see them have a good time okay that may be so Mark but one of the criticisms of the Captain Underpants series is that these uh, two main characters George and Harold are pretty dismissive of authority <laughs> you're such a wowser I know <laughs> No, it's I would true. have stopped the projector halfway through the halfway through the film. Kids, sit down, stop laughing, respect authority. <laughs> uh, look, it is true. There is, if I would say that, there's one thing about the series, the film that is a little hard, you know, to put in front of your kids is they basically have this justification that for the sake of the kids and because the kids are so unhappy, they will continue to prank the principal and undermine his authority and make him look foolish. Uh, and that's not really any lesson you want to give your kids. In fact, actually, we have a saying in my house. Um, coined by me. <laughs> boys, uh, basically, we I gather around, to, children. Gather around, children, as I impart my wisdom. Um, and I actually say to the boys, look, it's only funny if both people are laughing. Um, and the reason why is because kids are um, classic for doing something to somebody and then saying, oh, I was only joking, doing something to their brother or their sister or, you know, a friend and saying, I was only joking. But we always want to say it's only funny if both people are laughing so they remember that humour is a great thing, it's a great tool, but not to cut people down to the point where they're miserable. Is there something other than a new rash of potty jokes to take away from Captain Underpants? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best things in it is that there's a great sense of responsibility in it too because the whole plot turns on the end and the fact that George and Harold realise that even though Krupp is their arch enemy, they can't make his life miserable just to make their own life better. Oh. No, and yeah, I know, which is a great sense of responsibility in that. So it's a in great the, realization. Yeah, they're prepared to own up in the end, just because um, it's the responsible thing to do. It's a really cool message yeah, to be sending out to kids. Yeah, and so look, personally, there's a lot of kids. You'll see, hear us talking about a lot of kids' films over the next few weeks because we're running into holiday season. We couldn't have started better. I'd take the kids and see Captain Underpants again without a choice, without a doubt. All right, Captain Underpants is rated G for very mild, crude humour, and it opens this coming Thursday, the 14th of September, starring Kevin Hart, Thomas Middleditch, and one very annoyed Professor Poopy Pants. Yes, that's Professor Poopy Pants. Mm. That's, that's his real name. That's, that's what his parents call him <laughs> yeah. around the house. Find him on IMDb. <laughs> yeah. um, gentlemen, before we move on with the rest of the show, I posed a little bit uh, beforehand a true or false statement. Tell me which one of these is um, to- which one of these is a false. Which one of these comedy shows did not? Did Vincent Price not appear in the classic horror actor? Which one of these shows did he not appear in? The Brady Bunch, The Muppet Show, Happy Days, or Here's Lucy? As a process of elimination, I remember him on The Muppet Show. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's out. So he was dead. And I'm pretty certain I saw him on The Brady Bunch, and that only leaves Happy Days and Here's Lucy. So I'm going to reckon he didn't turn up on Here's Lucy. I'm going to say Brady Bunch. 
Happy Days. Oh, he did not turn oh. up on Happy Days, Vincent Bryce. Nice process of elimination, though, Mark. I'm doing my best. I like what you were doing with that one. <laughs> Coming up on the big picture, more underpants on the way. When we come back, we'll speak to a librarian who daily doles out Captain Underpants to primary-aged boys. Welcome back to the show. Well, last break, we took a look at the new kids' film, Captain Underpants, the first epic adventure. But that's not really where the adventure began. There's actually been 12 Captain Underpants adventure books since 1997, the first being the aptly titled Adventures of Captain Underpants. Since then, (laughs) 70 million copies have been published worldwide in over 20 languages, and more than a few of them have ended up in libraries. So we thought it was a good idea to send Mark off to speak to a local librarian and ask her what she thinks about generations of Australians growing up on underpants. Well, I'm talking to Nicole Yule, who's a head librarian, which is something of a daunting title. But thank you very much for being part of the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, let's begin with, do you remember the first day that you actually heard of Captain Underpants? You came across a copy? Yeah, I do. I was actually working at a girls' school at the time, which is unusual because uh, I think the target audience for this series of books would be boys. Um, But there were two or three uh, eight- or nine-year-old girls sitting in a corner of the library, giggling um, incessantly all lunchtime reading Captain Underpants and so I wandered over and I thought I've got to check these books out so I took a couple home uh, with me that um, night and I had a good read through of them and realised what the humour was and why they uh, liked them so much so that was the first time I encountered them. Now, it's an interesting thing to describe them as books because they're kind of like a, a merging of a, a lot of different styles. There's comic in there, chapter book, all sorts of easy reader. But uh, how would you go about describing them? Yeah, I think that actually speaks to how clever these books are in many ways. Um, they do have the uh, normal narrative, as you would expect in a chapter book, but then they've got the comic book in there that the boys create, uh, two of the characters create, and then you've also got a lot of really clever uh, um, narrative conventions like the um, the uh, characters several times actually address the reader and things like that. So um, it is really quite a clever book, I think, and not as clever, um, more clever than I think people give it uh, credit for. Um, it often is dismissed as very much an easy read and um, something a bit frivolous. But I actually think um, as a book, they are quite... Um, yeah, clever in how they've set up the narrative. Now, I've got three boys, so I actually know what you mean by the frivolous, because the humour in it is very much about butts and things like that. Uh, but there are some well, there are some concerns that some people have raised about the spelling, like that some things are misspelled. Is that a worry from an educator's point of view? No, I don't think so. The only time that the misspellings occur are in the comic books that the boys write. The actual uh, general narrative of the book doesn't have any spelling mistakes in it. Um, and I think as far as it being the comic book with the misspellings, spellings. Um, The reader knows that the boys are two young boys, but I think the reader also then gets to be in a bit of a position of superiority, and I think students like it when they can kind of think they're smarter than these characters they're reading about in the book. So when they see the misspellings, I don't think it's encouraging them to misspell. I actually think it's just giving them a little bit of uh, a feeling of superiority of going, oh, I know how to spell that word correctly, and they don't. So from that um, point of view, I have no concerns. Now, George and Harold are a bit of a pair. They're, they're mischievous in some ways, but they're also really good friends. Do you think Captain Underpants has some good lessons to put before kids? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, although it's, um, yeah, they certainly do get into trouble and uh, get into some mischief. At the end of the day, they always want to solve those problems that they create. And much like other characters that have come before them, the Bart Simpsons, the naughty Amelia Jane from Enid Blyton days, I think the fact is um, at their heart, these characters do have a heart of gold and they want to um, make up for the mistakes they've made. And by the end of uh, the novels, everything generally is put right. The school's been back to its normal size, the robots have been vanquished or whatever it might be. Um, And the fact is, um, yeah, although their principal still thinks he's Captain Underpants, they've tried to fix as many of the problems as they can. So I think at the end of the day, it does show kids about needing to take responsibilities for the mess you sometimes create. And have clean underwear. So uh, do you have, just last question, do you have any real fears of hypno rings in your work at school? No, I think I'm pretty safe. Most of the students here, I think, like me and... uh, are happy to have me as their head librarian so I think I'm pretty safe but I'll always be on the lookout for any inappropriate jewellery if need be. That's Nicole Yule, head librarian from Willing Clark College. And actually, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, underpants fever. Who isn't? <laughs> head on over to eternitynews.com.au. They're big uh, supporters of the show. They do a great uh, job of helping us get on air, and so we want to thank them and also point them the, uh, you <laughs> back to them. Uh, Captain Underpants uh, is over there as a review. You can see me talking more and more about all sorts of underpants. You can't issues. stop talking about Captain Underpants, Mark. I'm thrilled. Uh, ben talks about the new film Gifted. There's another thing. There's a bunch of other new release films over there like American Made, The Dark Tower, The Big Sick, all for your viewing pleasure. A little movie about a young woman with big dreams has been getting some attention at film festivals around the world. Patty Cakes introduces us to Patricia, a New Jersey bartender who hopes hip-hop will rescue her from her hard-knock life. But can rhymes and beats save her? Is there a danger in wanting to live a dream? Where do you see yourself in five years? I hope to still be working for you, sir. (laughs) Your pen game is ridiculous. You have notebooks full of songs, Pete. How badly do you want this? You don't have a musical bone in your body, and you sure as hell can't sing. What kind of music are we talking about here? Been rapping. Rapping. I'm singing, you know? Yo, Dumbo! Get out the street. Okay, guys, uh, Patty Cakes is a little bit like 8 Mile. You know that Eminem film from, was that about a decade ago? Maybe mm-hmm. more. Eight Do you Mile. need me to backbeat or something? Or what, is it, what do the kids call that? Beatbox. Beatbox. Beat beat Do you need to beatbox in the background? I, th- I think the fact that you said backbeat is probably <laughs> an indication that no, we don't. So, <laughs> hitting the snare. Patty Cakes <laughs> is like 8 Mile meets Precious. Again, that's oh, the best okay. description for it. Uh, sadly, not as good as either of those two films, but still, still pretty strong, particularly for the lead performance by an Australian actress called Danielle McDonald, who's playing a New Jersey woman in her early 20s trying to make a go of it. She's fantastic, Danielle McDonald. I've never heard of her, never seen her before. She's going to do very well for herself, I think. So she's playing Patricia. Uh, she is a bartender and hospitality worker in New Jersey. Uh, working class girl, doesn't have much money for to her name but she's trying to work as much as she can to help out not just her alcoholic mum but also her sick and dying nana as well but uh, Patty Cakes really comes down to uh, her pursuit of the dream of wanting to be a rapper she calls herself Killer P 
or patty cakes. And her her mate Jerry, uh, who's played by I hope I'm getting this right, Siddharth Danane, uh, this uh, Indian bloke who is also a rapper. Uh, the two of them unite, try to like follow their dreams of a hip hop career, while also all this other stuff's going on in Patricia's life at the same time. That's basically the thrust of Patty Cakes, which is more of an indie film than it is like, a mainstream release. Would you recommend this to teen girls? Is this the sort of like um, a liberation film for that particular generation? Uh, yeah, uh, like with with, with reservation. Uh, the film's only rated M, which I'm surprised at because there is a lot of swearing in this film and a lot of sexual innuendo as well, a lot of sexual references. Would I recommend it to teen girls? Uh, look, I think it's. Um, it, I think the, the character Patricia in herself is pretty interesting. I think what she's trying to do in itself is interesting. I think the whole vibe of you know wanting to pursue your dream and believe in yourself and that kind of thing is something that you can get behind to some degree, which we can talk about a little bit later on. But overall, Mark, uh, no, I think there's... I think there's I wouldn't be saying they should rush out to see it. This, it's is, not, not, this is not one for the youth group. It's No, it's it's not as strong as I'd like it to be. It gets a bit more formulaic in the second half, and it really starts petering out well, as well. That's what I was going to say, because in terms of the like, formula, you're right. It's um, you know hard knocks lifestyle, rise above it all by you know embracing some sort of talent. Sure, there are people standing in the way, but you're going to rise. You know, it, Does it make much difference to the plot to have this character, Patricia, um, involved, or is yeah, it just... Look, I think one of the most notable things about it is Patricia, and you know I've got to try to choose my words carefully about her uh, because she's a she's a, a larger girl. She's an overweight girl. Um, she's a white girl, and she's trying to pursue a career in hip hop from a working class background. So instantly, you get all these collisions of um, fascinating elements around Patricia. So she's been pretty interestingly created by writer director Jeremy Jasper um, in terms of uh, someone who we can focus our attention on. You get you feel a lot of sympathy for her, but I don't think the film manipulates you to do that which is good um, you can particularly in her relationship with her mum and with her nana and what she's trying to do with her family I think she's uh, a pretty tremendous girl that you can uh, you you would encourage what she's doing you would recommend that to teen girls that's pretty cool so yes I think this is the thing I want to uh, back with you about just yep. for a second it's just the idea that um, I can see that she she's doing something that is you know encouraging and inspiring um, it's just that like I would hope that there'd be a dozen other ways that you'd encourage uh, a young lady to um, to be inspired and rise above the situation as opposed to rapping. It just seems to be so problematic. Now, that's me doing the whole sort of old man type thing looking <laughs> in, yeah. but uh, but I'm a little worried about it. Yeah, uh, look, you would, I wouldn't say you'd be suggesting your teen girls uh, uh, do the kind of rapping and rhyming that, that Patricia does. Some of the content's a bit strong. Uh, but as far as that being a pursuit, I think it's like plenty of other ones. There's nothing necessarily wrong in and of itself of what she's trying to pursue um i th- yeah I, don't, I wouldn't i wouldn't just come down hard on that just for the just for the sake of it it's more about the content of what she's rapping i think that'd be the issue is the main aim of patty cakes uh just to give us another serve of believe in yourself follow your dreams as so many of these films are yeah okay, you're right i mentioned that earlier and that is the really strong thrust of of patty cakes um w- what it does demonstrate though is that someone tries to control their own fate and follow their own dreams it can often blow up in your face several times over and you, that happens in patty cakes sometimes in ways that are a bit too convenient and just force the drama to happen um, towards the end of the film but as i was watching that it, it reminded me 
of um, uh, you know some of the teachings of the New Testament. Like in, there's a really famous passage in James that talks about not making plans, but trying to align what you want to do with what God wants for your life, and that really reorders your priorities and motivations. So it's not saying don't have dreams or don't have plans or don't try to pursue things, but if you can stop them just being about yourself and being about what God would have you do, that can seriously recalibrate your life. And things may not always work out the way you want them to, but they will work out in a different, more positive way because it's more aligned with God. So that's not really happening in patty cakes. Instead, it does just serve up, believe in yourself, follow your dreams. And I think at the same time can show you how hollow that can be, even if it is slightly inspiring along the way. Okay, well, Patty Cakes is rated M for coarse language and sexual references. It drops at cinemas this Thursday, September 14, and stars Danielle McDonald, Bridget Everett, and Kathy Moriarty. Coming up on The Big Picture, get your moonwalk ready for our soundtrack selection before Mark walks us through what is no laughing matter, the creepy clown reboot, It. (laughs) Welcome back. Right, gentlemen, we're up to the soundtrack section of the show. Um, Before the break, we were talking about this new film, Patty Cakes. This uh, film about a young lady in New Jersey that wants to follow her hip-hop dreams. Now, it can be difficult to select hip-hop rap tracks to play here on the big picture because we're just not sure how they're going to play well to a broad audience. So we cast our minds back to the safer times of the (laughs) 80s and decided, "Mm, let's pick something from the soundtrack to break into Electric Boogaloo. Sax solo. It Let's must be go. the 1980s that we're talking about. And, uh, and we are in particular referring to I Believe in the Beat. I'm sure you remember that uh, that song that was a massive hit. It went to number 56 in the UK back in 1980. <laughs> All the way to number 56. All the number way to number 56. In, it's better than I've ever done in the UK charts. 12 weeks. 
I believe in the beat from Carol Lynn Towns. Who, who's Carol Lynn Towns, you ask? Good question. No Who one, is no one, Carol Lynn No one Towns? really knows. Uh, <laughs> she was American soul singer, apparently. Um, she was like in some bands, I think, in the 60s, 70s, and then she had this, I was going to say one hit one there, but number 56, I'm not sure, is necessarily a, <laughs> is a hit. But we selected that because it's from Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, which is the sequel to the film Breakin' from the early 80s, which I'm sure you guys remember was the first screen role for Jean-Claude Van Damme, where he was uncredited as background dancing spectator. <laughs> background dancing spectator. Wow. Who knew the career that he would have after breaking, uh, breaking in with breaking Jean Claude Van Damme? Is he beating somebody up in the background? No, he's uh, just spectating, just spectating. Oh. And um, who was in the cast of Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, in 1984? Ice T and Martika. Really, Ice wow. T and Martika. <sighs> let's names move. best left in uh, history. Yeah, I let's think. move on from that beat now. Yes. Quite a change of pace now. Uh, Stephen King's terrifying novel, It, not IT. <laughs> it's, Even though it's often written in caps, it's isn't in it? caps. So it really it does look like, like IT. IT. It's less scary when you say that. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about It, though. Yes. Uh, it's been remade for the big screen, plunging circuses across the world into despair as performers ready themselves for new ways of children who scream at the sight of a clown. The villain of the piece is Pennywise, the dancing clown. Oh, it gives me shivers just reading that sentence. A terrifying monster who takes on the form of his victim's worst fears. Now, you might be wondering what's the point of even talking about a film like this, but the release of It is like the release of Star Wars to audiences hooked on horror. So, Mark headed off to find out if there are any helpful conversations to be had after watching It. When you're a kid... I think the universe revolves around you. They think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Well, it's the summer of 1989 in the American town of Derry and six kids are getting ready for their school vacations. But already <laughs> things are looking pretty grim with a spate of disappearances amongst the town's children. Yeah. And very soon the audience realises it's the work of a nameless monster that often appears as a horrific clown. But it can just as easily take on the form of any fear that they care to think about. Will they run? Will they hide? Will they scream? What will they do? These kids basically have to choose between uniting or dying to get rid of it. Uh, it is part Nightmare on Elm Street, part Stand By Me, which, by the way, was also written mm-hmm. by Stephen King. Uh, much different piece of work, though. Well, much. Interestingly, it has some dark elements to that, too, but let's not get on to that. At the moment, Pennywise the Clown is our focus, and already one of literature's most memorable monsters. Now it seems he's set to become one of the big screens as well. Okay, Mark, how scary is it? It is was pretty scary. Yeah? <laughs> I would say. Did you soil your underpants? Captain what? Underpants would have been good <laughs> to, to help me <laughs> out. It's a bit, bit, personal, bit personal, Sam, but I see Sorry, where you're going with that. I, I you're, not have... a, you're not a big fan of horror films, though, are you, Mark? No, I'm not a huge fan at all. In fact, there were, uh, to be honest, I do question the effect they have. So a few times during the film, I, I kid you not, I was thinking maybe I could just duck out for a couple of minutes and come back in because I'm not sure where this scene's going but I don't really want to see it. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty stuff. Look, um, if some people have actually seen, uh, it's not the first time that it has actually jumped off 
the pages and into television world. Uh, Tim Curry actually played uh, it in the miniseries It back in 1990. Uh, and apparently the director, Andy Machetti, uh, said, look, I'm going to not hold back at all in the way that that series did. And he literally did not hold back. Oh, for um, this new version for the of new it. Version so of what's it more is, gory and gruesome? and gorier. Uh, look, it, it goes very much towards a gore fest, okay, if you sort of like the scheme of horror. Mm. there, But there, it's also a jump fest. It's very much... Uh, plumbing the depths. All right, Mark. Uh, now, explain for us why on earth we're even talking about this. Because for a lot of people, this is just an inst- automatic, I'm not going to go see that, never going to go see that. Why would you possibly watch that? Exactly. And look, so I'm in the camp of those people. Generally speaking, horror for me, uh, even as a film reviewer, I say, okay, look, I'm, it's just not what I'm interested in. Um, but... Uh, every now and again, a film comes along that is just massive, and so we find that it's important to some degree to actually have an opinion on it. So, like, in the United States, the pre-sales of tickets for it uh, actually became the biggest pre-sales of all time. What? Okay. Really? Yeah. So what? Eclipsing 2011's Paranormal Activity 3. I mean, this is this is one of those things. Oh, sorry. I should say the biggest pre-sales of a horror film. Oh, right. Yeah. right. So I thought you were talking like smashing Star Wars <laughs> yeah. or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. No, what? No, no, no. Furious. But, yeah. but, let's, no. but let's not... <laughs> Captain Underpants. Let's not undercut it. Let's not undercut it. We're talking $60, 70000000 million laid down before yeah. anybody even knows That's what's big. actually yeah. coming. Yeah, that is big. Okay. So it's, uh, and it's also experiencing record-breaking ticket sales in Australia. Um, so it is big. So it's worth us thinking about. It. Why do people like horror? Is it just the thrill? Is it a psychological roller coaster? And what would Jesus say about a film like? Wait, it? What? Hang on. What would Jesus say <laughs> about it? All right, go on, go okay. on, then, champ. Tell like, us what. What do you think Jesus well, to would begin say? With I think it encourages to take fear seriously. Okay, because I mean, many people look at horror films and say, "Oh, why would you want to be scared?" My life uh, is a life lived without fear. I could do without that. Thanks very much. You know, or fear is something I want to avoid. The truth is that paralyzing fears are actually really part of life. I mean, all of us have fears. There are things that keep us awake at night. And if you don't think that's the case, you're probably not being honest enough with yourself. But interestingly enough, and that's pretty much the core of it, right? The core of it is fear. Okay, mm. so what is it that you're going to be terrified about? And Pennywise uses that but I think there are more subtle things that we should actually think about when we think about fear because most of us experience probably fear of people more than we experience fear of clowns now what, what do you mean fan. fear of people well basically uh, it freezes in our tracks who hasn't been in one of those social situations where you know you should say something because people are expressing an opinion that's basically just wrong and you know you should say something but to do so makes you stand out mm-hmm. Christians are really quite familiar with this so I think Jesus would say for a start you've actually got to be prepared to embrace your fears. You've got to be prepared to confront them. Um, The Bible says that people who don't have fear and perspective are more likely to actually just end up missing out on God and his great blessings because they don't want to stand up against people. I mean, Pontius Pilate's a great example in Scripture of a man who actually let Jesus be crucified because he was afraid of what people would say. You know, I mean, it's it, it, fear can be that damaging. But mm. does, does it have some sort of spiritual counterbalance to combat fear? Well, that's the tragedy about this film, okay? It doesn't. You see, no. the only counterbalance in it uh, is the classic horror counterbalance of us versus the darkness. Oh, yeah, okay? how it always comes down to us it, humans in horror films that exactly. we can defeat the darkness. We're the only ones. But interestingly, and I don't want to give too much away about it, I think it's pretty well known that this is actually a two-parter. 
So most people, if you don't know, it's been publicised already that this is that the whole it film is really the first half of Stephen King's book, and they're going to do the second half to, half as well. And that's the whole nature of how horror deals with fear. It's just the idea that we can get rid of the darkness for a while, but the darkness is always going to creep back in. Now, does anybody realise that that's actually what the Bible is saying? That you can't actually get rid of darkness. You can't get rid of fear on our own. Humanity has been trying for thousands of years of civilization and come up with bupkis. You know, there's just nothing we can do to stop the horror coming back. Uh, and it is kind of like that. You know, you've got this sense. Now, if it follows through the trajectory of uh, where Stephen King's book went, and those who've read it will know what I'm talking about, um, there may be an ultimate solution, but it's not going to be to do with God. Um, and I feel like that's something that as Christians we're going to have to say at some point, if we're dealing with fear, we're going to have to deal with it with God or not at all. It stars Bill Skarsgård as a truly creepy Pennywise with Jaden Lieberher, Sophia Lillis and Jeremy Taylor. They're cast in the role of the Little Screamers. It's rated MA15+, plus, as you could well expect, MA15+, plus for strong horror themes and violence and should not be watched with a full stomach if at all. All right, well, coming up on The Big Picture, watch out, Patty Cakes, because Sydney rapper Zero is joining The Big Picture for his own hip-hop take on movies before Ben takes us on a trip with his top five inner-city movies. Hey, welcome back to the show. Now, a little earlier in the show, we talked about the new hip-hop-inspired movie, Patty Cakes. Well, Zero is a Sydney rapper whose third album, 24-7, has just dropped. He's dropped by the studio to offer some insights into the popularity of hip-hop and its impact. Hello, Zero. Thanks, hey. Sarah. Very much. Welcome to the show. How are you going? Good. Uh, look, can you explain to a uh, middle-aged white guy <laughs> what uh, is so popular about rapping around the world? I mean, sometimes, okay, from a like a parental perspective, mm-hmm. there's people who are going, oh, gee, it looks pretty hostile. These guys seem so angry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and negative or worse. Yeah, sometimes the content seems. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, why is it so popular? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, what you... So it's right, there's heaps of stuff in hip-hop which is quite negative, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it's not all that way, but what you see, um, you know, the most popular stuff, unfortunately, a lot of it is quite negative. Um, yeah, there's a few reasons. Um, I think it's it's a bit cool, it's a bit fun, and also hip-hop doesn't really have any boundaries, and so people kind of feel comfortable um, with a lot of stuff in hip-hop just, you know, I think it's it's just got that cool factor and just that risky factor as well about it. Uh, there's heaps of things that are glamorized, which, um, you know, once you have a, you know, lead artist who is glamorizing something, you know, no matter what it is, that becomes, you know, kind of the norm or what ends up becoming cool. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's, you know, one side of it. And then the other side, you know, it's also been a catalyst for heaps of good stuff and, um, you know, some social justice stuff. Um, yeah, which, I've got to yeah, say, yeah. It's, it's fair to say there's a lot of voice coming out from people who might not otherwise have a voice mm. just by virtue of through it. So I yeah. understand that, yeah. What kind of impact have you seen, Zero, that um, hip-hop rap has had, particularly on younger people in your experience? Yeah, so um, there's heaps of st- Like, one of the big things, I'll touch on four things that kind of hip-hop glamorizes. One, you know, you got that violence and that gang life. Mm. Um, and so that is, that is glamorized. It's portrayed in a way which... Uh, you know, it convinces, you know, the, the young male 
in particular that, you know, oh, this is what you need to do to be, you know, really tough and really manly. Um, you know, so there's, you know, that violence and the gang gang life type of, you know, hip hop. You've got, you know, drugs as a, you know, oh, this is what we do on the weekend and this is what we do when we party. Mm-hmm. Also as a way for hustling for money. Uh, so that is also glamorized in hip hop. Um, and also money is status. So, um, you know, and that that's what kind of gives you... Uh, power in the hip hop world, and so then if that- you've got large amounts of gold hanging around your pretty neck. Much. You're someone. Pretty it's much, it's called bling, Mark. Bling, it's bling. That Please bling, bling. <laughs> 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 and so, and then you've got yeah. So, and also, unfortunately, you've got you know the degrading of women, and you know they're kind of treated as objects in the hip hop world. Um, you know, and so hip-hop- part of the status. Yeah, and hip hop, hip hop's just notorious for it. So. Um, yeah, and what that does, it just gives you a warped view of, you know, what's normal. Uh, so, you know, you put all those um, things together and what bec- what is normal uh, is pretty much what you're being fed, uh, what's mm. in your ears, uh, what you're playing through your iTunes, you know. So, um, yeah, you have this warped view of what's normal. But it does sound like that that is a layer over the top of, of what really is rap or the, the, there's a musical style and, and yeah. a means of communicating. You're yeah. a Christian and a rapper. Uh-huh. Uh, what are you hoping to communicate? What are you hoping your music's going to do? Because all those examples you were just giving then, Zero, were pretty negative. Yeah, But yeah. go back to the bit where you're a Christian and a rapper. Like, mm-hmm. wh- what are you hoping is going to come from your music? Yeah, so, yeah, I've got, you know, kind of my... Uh, own agenda in regards to yeah what I want to achieve you know when it's kind of when I'm done and dusted with the whole hip hop stuff and creating music um, now I I've done some work with so I work with some juveniles um, who are locked up and so I mm. do songwriting sessions with them now this is one thing that I love about hip hop is you can be so real and uh, you know when I'm sitting down with guys in custody and you know helping them write. You know, rhymes. One, yeah, the sense of achievement, that's one thing. But also you kind of tap into, it's really helpful to kind of talk about um, things that might be difficult otherwise. And so you might have, you know, family structures um, that are, you know, it might not be so easy to talk about it, but hip hop kind of can bring things to light, bring issues to light uh, quite easily. So, um, I reckon it's a really good tool for honesty and bringing serious issues to light. There's one track that uh, I do called The Weekend where it's actually about my past where, uh, you know, kind of just getting involved with the wrong stuff. So drinking, um, doing a bit of stuff with drugs. And that was my weekend. And I would actually wake up the next day in regret, but I would do it again the next weekend. And so I was just there was just this pattern and this cycle of just mm. living for the weekend and um, I hated it, but I still did it. And so what I do in the track is I don't really do anything other than just sit with the meanings, meaningless nature of that cycle. And so I think that's one way to just bring, you know, um, kind of that, that weekend regret of oh man did I do that the day before really um, and bringing that to light because I don't think we really speak about that but that's mm. that's the reality as well yeah that's actually you're right gosh in, in um, conservative white culture frankly uh, we're, se- we're still celebrating the weekend yeah. as if somehow it was something you were land on mm-hmm. and you're actually putting it in front of people and saying do you really want this mm-hmm. wow yeah. now Zero to, to wrap things up we can't let you go before you, <laughs> act, before you actually rap gosh. can you give us some <laughs> give us some examples of, of your work go for it 
a pop a verse. Pop a verse. Pop a verse. All right. So, the Hollywood, Hollywood, and the media gotta stop it. Telling us all that love is dozen roses, couple of chocolates. The TV telling guys to chase a beauty who petite. Magazines are telling girls they need experience in the sheets. We gone astray and we needed a revision, not religious legalism, just the grace of God, the risen. Cause a lot of Hollywood couples ending in division. The strongest couples seem to be Marge and Homer Simpson. We rarely sit down for guidance and share advice. Eliminate the fake. You hear relationships are sacrifice. A lot of hard work and pain, not always paradise. It get uncomfortable, like massage, 10 pair of Nikes. Yeah, I know, it's easy said and harder done. What Mr. Zero nowadays telling anyone? God wrote perfection in the story of salvation. Why not trust him in the story of your love situation? Yes. Yeah. Dude. Woo. Thank you, Zero. Seriously. Well, uh, Zero. She just actually did consumerism, misogynism, and everything. Like, you, like it's like a, it's like a university. You've blown. <laughs> you've blown Mark Hadley's misconceptions out of the water. Zero's third album, twenty four seven, is available now on iTunes and wherever you get your music. Thanks for stopping by, Zero. Cool. Thanks for Thanks, having Zero. me. Zero. Thanks. Top five time. Certainly is. Uh, we've been talking a bit about hip-hop and rap, and that usually conjures when we're talking about movies, inner-city movies. Now, I'm not going to focus on rappers on screen. Instead, I'm just going to gravitate to movies that are set somehow in an inner city. Let's go. Five. 1979's Manhattan, a fantastic film by Woody Allen, which does what it says in the title. It's basically one massive love letter to Manhattan Island, New York City. This is the one that's in black and white, right? It is in black and white, yes. And, and look, yep, I slept through that. Oh, Mark, you were, so, you were so wrong. Woody Allen has uh, filmed almost like the, the vast majority of his films have been set in, in New York City. He loves the place. I think when people think about New York City, they don't always necessarily think of Martin Scorsese or other directors like that. Instead, they go to Woody Allen. Manhattan is a great encapsulation of what it's like to be um, a white and whingy, neurotic, middle-aged guy uh, going about that city. Manhattan really nails the inner city of New York. Maybe white, whingy and middle-aged. Yeah, that could be my movie. Yeah. Casting our minds way back to 1948, an Italian film called The Bicycle Thieves. Now, before Mark Hadley rolls his <laughs> eyes, before you roll your eyes or chuckle... Please, tell me. The Bicycle Thieves is a fantastic film, but uh, and that's one reason to, to raise it. The other is, what is a massive part of life in the inner city across time? Transport. And okay. now, what was this film all about? It was about a working-class guy who really needs a job in post-World War II Rome, which is being rebuilt. He desperately needs a job to keep his family going. He needs, And what he needs is a bike to get around from job to job, and someone steals his bike. And for the majority of the bicycle thieves, it's this guy and his son desperately running around Rome, all <laughs> shot on the streets of Rome trying to find his bike so that he can stop his family from starving. It's a really powerful film about the struggles of inner city life. T- talk about the mean streets. Mm. This film is about the mean streets of Rome way back in the 40s. Three. Okay, 2003. Here's a film from 2003, a little bit more recent. Lost in Translation. Yes. That excellent film with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. I picked this because what seems more inner city living than living in a hotel? 
and mm. most of Lost in Translation is set in a hotel where Bill Murray is a fading star who's visiting Tokyo, and uh, he's basically just w- w- worrying about where his life is at at the moment, and he comes into contact with Scarlett Johansson, who's basically playing something of a ditched wife, and then interestingly, there's like a surprisingly credible and chaste friendship between the two that emerges across the film as they go from hotel bars to karaoke's, and you also get this intimacy of between people of being somewhere far from home. It gets a little bit dodgy at points in the film, but I thought it was a great um, insight into what it might be like if you were actually going to go about living your life inside a hotel. Yeah, it's like full of the anonymity of being in a city too because it's yeah. like it's just people you're meeting, their glazed looks, the the crowds washing past you. I think it's a brilliant film. Yeah. Two. 2002 City of God, which is mm. an incredible Brazilian film. I'm not just trying to bring us films from all around the world just for the sake of it. As I was thinking about films set in an inner city, City of God instantly leapt to my mind. Uh, even over and above a lot of the American films that are set within um, ghettos or um, poorer areas of American cities, City of God is like a mind-blowing look into the crime and the corruption of the favelas, the slum areas of Rio de Janeiro, and just how difficult it can be, particularly for children in that environment, to live their life, and not just live their life, but to get out of it alive, like to get out of their childhood alive. And what you see in City of God is a contrast between uh, two friends in particular, one heading down the drug dealer path, another one who wants to be a photographer, but how hard that is for them to break out of it. City of God from 2002 is an incredible portrait of inner city life. One. But not nearly as amazing as 1988's Big Starring yeah. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Big. Starring Tom Hanks. We've just gone from a level of significance to what? <laughs> yeah. Look, I've picked this, gentlemen. Uh, I'll encapsulate this very briefly. It's again set in New York City like Manhattan was. But why this jumped to my mind is I loved this film when I was a kid. And I think it summarizes why a lot of us go to cinemas. We love to uh, pretend that we live this fantasy, fantasy existence somewhere else. If I could live a fantasy existence, would I want to live in the inner city of New York? And would I like to have a massive apartment? And would I like to have a cool job and what I like testing to be more toys. testing toys and what I like to be more of an adult than I am and have this cool partner and cool life and all this sort of thing all of that is up there in big so in terms of a fantasy the fantasy idea of a movie about inner city life I think big actually nails it from 1988 20th century fox presents Tom Hanks big I turned into a grown up mom I made this wish on a machine and it turned me into a grown-up. So now what? You get a job. You cannot get a job. I play with all of this stuff. And then I tell them what I think. And they pay you for that? Sucker! Vice President, he's only been here a week. Ah, uh, yes, big. Ah, so great. What it's basically all one. of our fantasy lives of living in an inner city, I well, think. That's nothing compared to what's coming up next week. Yes, the big show next week. Is the Emoji Movie an awesome sign of the times or a symbol of defeat? We'll find out next week. For the anniversary of 9-11, we talk about the power of grief. And Dame Judi Dench returns to royalty in Victoria and Abdul. Next week, I'm still going to be Emma Kekin. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. I'll see you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 